0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. You're here today with Kara Willard, and you can check out all the other stuff we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, today's conversation is one that I am very excited about. I got to talk with Kim Miller. Scarpa, North America's CEO, to discuss the impressive efforts that Scarpa is taking to center sustainability into every aspect of what they do. Scarpa has been an Italian-based brand since the 1930s, but these days they are working on instilling a metric-based, transparent, and effective action plan to be a leader in the outdoor industry, including undergoing the intensive process of becoming a B Corp and publicly publishing their very own Green Manifesto, which you can read over on their site and it is linked in the show notes to this episode. Kim Miller has been on Gear 30 a couple of times before and I have also linked those episodes in the show notes because they are both really great. And you can hear a lot more about Kim's impressive background and technical knowledge in these previous episodes. But for today's conversation, Kim and I focused on what the process of developing Scarpa's Green Manifesto looked like, what undergoing life cycle analysis for different products entails, some of Scarpa's products that are best exemplifying these principles, and how they have refused to compromise the performance and quality of their product line, yet how tricky this balance can be. More broadly, Kim and I talk about why this work is important, not just in an environmental sense, but how it spans a lot more than just reducing a carbon footprint as a brand. Kim is incredibly passionate and knowledgeable about these topics, and I have a feeling that he will instill some inspiration and encourage some individual action, which brings me to this point. As people who all love and appreciate good gear that helps us do really fun things in the mountains... I also urge us to consider the life cycle of the gear we consume and how we can take action to lengthen this life cycle, make investments that ensure longevity and durability, how we can support the brands that are using these best practices, and how sometimes we should opt to repair or reuse gear rather than purchasing new. And of course, if you really want to make sure the gear you are purchasing is the right gear for you, Well, then I would encourage you to become a Blister Plus member. You will not only receive personalized gear recommendations from our team of reviewers and access to our exclusive member-only content, such as our deep dives and our bi-monthly live-streamed happy hour sessions, where you can pretty much ask us anything, You will also get some of the most comprehensive outdoor related injury insurance. So with blister plus you are covered with a $0 deductible $25,000 per injury insurance for a whole year for a bunch of different injuries related to a long list of outdoor sports. And this is available to every person in our blister community, regardless of your age or where you live. So for a good reminder of why this is important, not just for when you're doing the gnarly stuff on big mountains and in those high-risk situations, but sometimes just simply cruising around the resort, stay tuned at the end of this episode for Kim Miller's very own crashes and close calls story. It's a good one, kind of a surprising one, but stay tuned for that. So head over to our website and sign up for a Blister Plus membership today. And with that, let's get right into my conversation with Kim Miller, Scarpa North America's CEO. All right. Well, I'm here today with Kim Miller, the North American CEO of Scarpa. And fortunately, we've actually had Kim on the podcast a couple of times before. Um, so we will definitely link those episodes in the show notes. They're both very worthwhile listens and... Um, You can not only learn a ton of information about Kim and his background, but he also goes into depth on a lot of Scarpa products. So those are some great episodes to tune into. But um, thanks so much for being here, Kim. We're really excited to have you back on Gear 30.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here and appreciate the invitation.
0: Um, So I think I spoke a little bit just now about your really impressive background, and you went in depth uh, in episode 79, you talk about sort of your retail background, how you worked for Shannard Equipment. Um, You also were sort of part of the founding team for Black Diamond. And now you've been involved with Scarpa for a really long time. Um, So you can kind of elaborate on any of those details. But I think to get us going today, especially with sort of the direction we're going to be taking the conversation, I just want to hear more about sort of what led you to Scarpa and kind of... uh, why you're involved in the work that you are currently doing?
1: Sure, I, I think it's actually a really relevant uh, question to the to the bigger question that you want to speak to. Uh, really, when I was made the decision, I, I've been working with Scarpa for I think about thirty five years now, and it really started when I was at Sharon Equipment and then Black Diamond because we were the distributor for Scarpa products. And, um, it was, uh, at a, at a point in my, my life, in my career, where I was making one to make a change, uh, for a number of reasons. And when I was thinking about my options and, um, not just what I wanted to do, but who I wanted to do it with, I was really thinking about, um, the long play and started with what it what is the? What are the companies I'm considering? What are they made of? What 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 drives them? What are their values? What's important to them? Because I I had at that point developed my passions to my work in a way that I I really felt what I was doing was really important, much more, much bigger than just bringing products for climbing and skiing to to the market. Um, the the bigger what I would consider the values driven kind of business mentality. And, um, when the opportunity opened up and I thought about it, changing jobs and coming to Scarpa, um, looking at it through the, that lens, it was a fairly easy choice for me because, um, I'd already, Oh, already knew the per Soto family and the company really well. Um, but I also knew them as individuals and and people and what their values were because working together, Scarpa is a very values-driven, principles-driven family Italian family-owned business. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of history there, and I think that um, when I looked at the whole picture, that was that was a good fit for me, and it's turned out to be that way. Uh, this is the 18th year of Scarpa North America and my 17th year here as the CEO. And honestly, the, the work that we're doing now and where I am in my career and where the Parasoto family is in their business, uh, it's a global business. We were involved in business in you know, 50 different countries and we have, uh, our own enterprises in five different countries: North America, uh, Central Europe, and, and Asia. And there's 1,800 employees. We're big now, and it's also interesting to note that roughly 60% of Italian companies are family-owned, and so there's so much culture that ties into business and community. And that has a lot to do with history. the The company was founded in 1938. You know, post war uh, economic development project was the, the the Society of Bootmakers. This community has, when you talk about sustainability, in the biggest level, the after you know two wars, this this region, the the Dolomiti region, was really strategic in terms of the war and everything in the 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 area was ravaged and so the communities were thinking about sustainability as how do we how do we grow food and and reconstruct well obviously italy is a, an important economic power in europe now and um but the culture and and the community uh values still very much remain and um and it's it's really built into the the family business kind of mentality. You see it all over the place. That was really, um, our passions aligned, our missions aligned. Um, I, I couldn't think of a better fit for me, and it still feels that way. The great thing is, talking about alignment today, after 17 years of working together in this capacity, we are still aligned. And um, in kind of this parallel, uh, parallel evolution, we uh, as, as a global brand realized that w- w- sustainability is, is it's a much bigger discussion than just making products, obviously. But if you look at the, the businesses are driven by a lot of different things, you know, in, in corpse speak, we talk about a business is driven by marketing or profitability or, um, innovation, there's a lot more businesses now that say we have to be driven first and foremost by our principles, and this is—it's it, it, something that you—you know—really quickly when you're dealing with a company that's putting up the that in the top of mind. It has to be a top-down um, kind of mentality that permeates a whole company, and Scarpa has that. So it was it was easy for us because we've been talking about sustainability forever in the environmental sense. But really, when we started the Green Manifesto and we started doing initiatives like Scarpa Stands um, in North America, it was really it's always it's one thing to have, okay, this is how I feel, this is what my values are, this is what our corporate values are, but to articulate that. And to act on it in an open and transparent and and sometimes to some people, maybe even controversial way. That that's a different kind of um, you know, we're humble bootmakers. That's how the parasotists would def- describe themselves. And and um she never think about someday we'll have to be talking about our, our principles and our position on equity and diversity and how we not just how we make things, but who makes them, and and how are they treated, and it, these kind of things are really what really um, drive our business now. So this this idea of bringing us a, a, a an articulated statement and set of actions, and and all in the in the in the public purview about what we what we were doing already, and what we wanted to do moving forward, I think the biggest the biggest uh, it was all based on um, being a force for good and really trying to make big, impactful difference to for people and 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 for our product for the planet, and 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 certainly trying to promote the idea of of using principles as your number one filter when you make any decision in business. So long story for sure, but a lot of history that can't be ignored. 1938 was the same year REI was founded. That's a long time ago. And you think about all the changes we've seen, what was important then and what, what we think is important now. I think for us, the, the real pivotal moment in terms of our environmental sustainability was when we decided to talking about transparency and accountability to take on the challenge of the B corp certification
0: we will definitely i think get a lot more into that
1: the other thing that i want to say is sustainability is really starts at uh, around people not just taking care of people but their having and permeating a community versus a company a group of people a community and then ultimately in an, in an industry on why these things are so important and um who they're for so you know as you and i discussed starting with the why is really uh, foundational i also think that when we look at things in a in an everyday kind of way we we say well, what's changed and and why is that important and and what should we do about that well we we all know specific to our industry now and our sp- even uh, uh, specific to the sports we love mm-hmm. climate change in particular is needs to be on everybody's mind, and you can see progress happening at different levels on government on governance and in industry but the idea that we, we can make a difference. We as a, a, a little company in, in the bigger scope of things can make an Im- impact, um, not just in the way we make things, but the influence that we have and use our voice and our platform um, to help educate people and, and promote these ideas through just like the collaboration with Blister, you know share values. Really that it's it's part of the reason I enjoy speaking with you all so much because we're really aligned on so many things and I love your work. So yeah, that's kind of a quick summary.
0: I guess. No, thanks for that, Kim. That's perfect. And of course, so many things you said just now resonated Um, first that you sort of were drawn to Scarpa from a value aligned position, you know, way back when. And now that's maybe sort of evolved and changed with the times as far as what that means, but sort of having a company that is very principle oriented. And I would agree that, you know, blister does um, that as well, that we're always sort of principles first above all else. And, and, So there's a lot of alignment there. And I mean, also it's really cool to hear about how Scarpa has kind of taken on this holistic sense of the word sustainability. Of course, we understand it, um, in terms of the environment and the places that we love to be outside in and recreating in, but it expands so much further beyond that to include, you know, people and, um, all these other aspects that we'll probably get a bit more into as we start to kind of break down the green manifesto, which I want to hear more about. But now, I mean, you just kind of mentioned how, you know, these principles were there and they've always kind of been deeply rooted within Scarpa as a business. But then there came this sort of element of transparency and accountability. And so as you and the team at Scarpa were starting to kind of produce this idea of the green manifesto, how did you go about kind of understanding how you were going to measure... This process and sort of design these metrics that you could sort of track as a company and then put out to the public, so people could understand what you were doing.
1: Well, it's really a a, a very complex and multifaceted kind of approach because of the because of the diversity of of the different silos that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. That making footwear is a really complex process and it involves a lot of different. People and and um, parts and suppliers. So, there, if you can imagine this web, uh, this network of people and companies, even industries that needed to kind of come along with us on all of this, the the um, the measurement. You can't improve anything that you can't measure. And so first thing we had to do was figure out where, what are the key performance indicators or to say it differently, where is our biggest impact? Where are our biggest impacts at the moment? And how do we, first of all, um, measure those, define those, and then put a measurement uh, metric around those things. The easiest thing, honestly, to say, but one of the hardest things to do is measure your carbon footprint. Yeah. Yeah and And that's that's a standard in 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 this lexicon that we use today that's thrown around a lot and and people are like you can buy credits, you can do it a lot of different ways ours our first sub goal was reduce our carbon footprint, and so we had to figure out what it was we need to measure and and then measure it and work on that that was. <laughs> this is where the complexity starts to uh, really build. And we needed to do that for um, our consumption of materials and um, power usage as, as well in terms of manufacturing. Um, I'll leave the human impact parts off to the, to the end, but it's super integrated here. And um, we also need to reach out to other um, subcontractors and factories that we needed to help us do this so this is where it really starts to be um um kind of a more from a groundswell to a movement that you're you're having to either being pulled by or having to pull along other other people and other companies and and um resources so Um, that that starts with the big discovery phase and trying to define all of these things. How do we measure this? And then how do we measure um, job satisfaction? On the other side of that, talking about human factors, um, it it all needs to move along at the same pace because to really have full, to have everybody's full attention, buy-in, and also commitment to things, they need to be happy and satisfied to start with. So this really drills down to foundational things that we have to, we have to um, start measuring and the, the mantra of incremental improvement, constant improvement. So uh, this is one of the big parts of the structure and, 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 and guidance that you get from B Corp or something along those lines so, um, we identified their biggest consumption points, and we started working on the things that were relatively easy. Relatively easy, solar on our factory, reduction of over thirty percent, four hundred and forty thousand kilowatts of generated power through solar. That was electricity, just you know, and and um, that was a big. Proud moment, but a fairly easy get in in the um, bigger scheme of things. Um, We, as for an example, um, our building efficiencies, all of the things that leads building kind of standards would indicate. But then we were quickly once we refined everything that we could do internally, we had full control over. It quickly became um, an issue of materials that we. We needed to either develop, acquire, or um, literally talk somebody into <laughs> inventing for us. So, um, you know, we introduced the first PBACS, our new. It was the T two Echo Telemark Boot in two thousand nine. So this this is. We're also one of the things we have to learn is you talked about transparency, and it's not about any resistance to transparency. It's really more of a culture of modesty and, oh, we don't talk about these things. That just sounds like spray. Yeah. But now it is a measurement of how a company does business or how, in our case, we make things. So materials became the the big, probably one of the... If you think about this being an enchainment of 8,000-meter peaks, materials sourcing and adjustments there became Mount Everest, because one, out of our control, two, we were looking for technologies that didn't exist yet. And we were having to convince people and and, and we needed to, a lot of people to be on the same mentality. Invent, in, in, in developing a material like PBACs are new, which was basically kind of a, a you know, plastics that, that's made out of castor bean oil versus petroleum-based oil, in 2009. That was really a pretty forward-thinking, and it was a collaboration of PBACS and Scarpa who was saying, you know, why we should be able to do this. It was PBACS that did it. And here's a great example. That obviously was a huge environmental um, moment, sustainability moment, but it also started an economic Community, a model for a community to um, sustain a community where the castor bean oil, oil, castor beans were grown. So, the the point here is you have to back into things. It's almost like reverse engineering and it became materials. Ski boots, specifically, it was get away from TPU and all of the petroleum based materials as fast as possible. But as you know, there's a super high expectation for performance in our products. And so there, you're always walking this really fine line, like making something recyclable, that's not really that hard. Making it be able to stay, you know, a high-performance ski boot in this case, that's where the, the, the art meets the science, actually. So it became a development, an R&D development, much more forward looking on materials innovations and a lot of partnerships and collaborations with people like PVAX and Grillamid and um, many, many more companies. And yeah, so it also involved a lot of money. And again, it's better that there are more people involved in this to one, share in the share in the rewards of developing um, sustainable materials, but also to share in the costs of doing that. So, you know, it's um, it's an interesting point of view on sustainability and, and and innovative product development because some people can consider this a competitive advantage, for example. And let's say that when the airbag for cars was invented, somebody said, yep, we're, we don't want other people to use this in their cars because we think it's a competitive advantage. But somewhere along the line, that in that process, they said this is better for everyone to have in a car. So I'd say the same thing. It's like I hope everybody uses these materials. We we think it's a great feature, but it should be a standard operating procedure for everyone. And of course, in terms of a uh, manufacturing uh, costing kind of process, the more people that use something. The more affordable it becomes, and it's not as specialized. So, PBAX is used in also in the manufacture of the highest end um, bumpers and things like that for European cars. So they're they have they're impacting a lot of industries with their recyclable uh, with sustainable materials. And then there's things that are just really really hard. Ninety percent of our products are made in Europe. And that's, again, a real contribution to our carbon footprint because – and we can measure it. So um, less transportation, um, certainly our own factories where we can control all of the processes and the, and the, the, the power, the, how we use – get power, things like that. Once you start sourcing certain things and certain technologies are really only done best in Asia – um vibram soles are a great example the uh and people expect their soles to on their shoes to last a long time and, and it's been really these are the challenging the challenges left to overcome to, to find a way to make a soul that's for that kind of a high performance shoe uh, or boot that it actually has all the characteristics of what we're used to and there's kind of these no You can't experiment on certain things. You know, it's just like the plastic of a ski boot, the material of a ski boot. So, and then there's the other side of this, this whole thing. We're talking about making things. We needed to look at the life cycle of a product. So the first rule of sustainability is make a really high quality product that will last forever. That Toyota truck that you you have like, Hundred in your neighborhood right now yeah. where you're located, <laughs> yeah. they have over three hundred thousand miles on them. Exactly, and they're still s- totally solid. Do the maintenance, you know, get the resoling, do the updates and loose rivet changes and stuff, and keep it going. That is actually probably one of the most important principles of sustainability: is don't make junk. And 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 then secondly. Make a good product that is repairable and reworkable uh, as much as possible. Interesting, interesting little uh, data point here is that we have uh, seen uh, a notable uptick in people who want to repair their products versus buy new ones. Resell their climbing shoes, get their ski boots, you know, tuned up and re riveted and everything. Um, Resell their their hiking boots. And, um, it's a lot like what we're seeing in, um, with those old trucks, you know, it's like, I really rather just keep this going as long as I can and it's working fine. And, uh, I don't have to spend money. I don't make the carbon footprint and all of these things that are conscious decisions. Uh, the, the other general philosophy is, you know, try not do no harm, try not to make do things that are negative to this to this principle so the other thing the big in ski boots we get soles foot beds and liners from asia we are pushing really hard on all of our suppliers to try to figure out how to make a sole that is made from recycled material or and everybody's working really hard on it same thing with the intuition liners which is I think commonly for many people consider the best foam you can use in a ski boot liner, you know, it's warm and, 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 and said resilient. So performance is always a thing. We, we really that fine line, you can't compromise on certain things. And if we said, well, you know, this is a fully recycled liner. We're sorry that your feet get cold and packed out in in 60 days, but it's recycled. Yeah, that doesn't fly. It, 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 we also always recognize and think about how people use our products. I mean, I'm a lifelong skier and climber and it's like how people depend on our products to, to do the job. And there, this becomes a personal safety and, uh, you know, I think if your footwear is about the most important thing, the most personalized thing and like you never want to lose your, you could rent skis, but if you lost your ski boots, stop. Oh, uh, it's everybody look, right? <laughs> or oh, climb. Yeah.
0: And Some just things. the footwear is sort of your like first piece of gear that's connecting you to the place you're in. And so it is an imperative that you're not going to be compromising the performance and quality, especially that people have come to know of Scarpa after all of these years. Um, so I can imagine that is a pretty tough balance.
1: It's kind of like we would describe in skiing as a no-fall zone, but I'll describe it a no-compromise zone. Like, you know, and there's an order of priorities, just like I explained, Vibram Soles, and Intuition Liners. Like we haven't found a better alternative. We've reduced, significantly reduced our carbon footprint in ski boots based on materials, the power, the way we make them. We we also are now making like the Mistrale remade that is made out of <laughs> of waste from injecting um, when you when you inject ski boots, it, it, there's always a little bit of waste that's that's uh, created it's it's backs or whatever the material is. but we saved all of it um, because there was no way to responsibly dispose of it. We started saving that that's storing that in cool. 1995. Wow. <laughs> And we started making boots out of that material last year, the remake, which is made out of you know, <laughs> a recycled material, ground up recycled. That's a, that's a thirty plus percent reduction in carbon footprint just on Fantastic. the material. Wow! So, um, do you you started with how do we measure these things? I am so like you know, some people get up and look at the weather, look at the <laughs> stock exchange. I think about these kind of numbers all the time. Um, where it gets interesting when the things you can't measure, which I think are really interesting, is um, f- from a consumer point of view, how much does this matter to people? And are we on the right track? And so, you know, we have a general anecdotal sense of that. You wanted to talk about it. I, people all the time talk to me about how passionate they are about these topics and how much, how much they appreciate us trying to, you know, constantly improve in this area. But I think that um, it's becoming more and more of, of a feature that people are looking for. You know, the obvious example is e-bikes or, or electric vehicles. People are making a conscious choice. I'm, I'm going to buy this instead of that. And it's a, it's a, it's a mentality shift. It's an important one. I don't consider it a competitive advantage feature, although it sh- it is, in my opinion, I consider it something that you should be looking for just because that's what you should be looking for when you're a consumer in anything. And, and you know, so, um, but again, we're not doing this, it's the right thing to do
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: and we can do it.
0: So, that's where it all comes from. It's interesting because, I mean, we realize that none of this can be done in a silo. So, I mean, Scarpa as a business working alone isn't really going to... I mean, it's impactful, but it really has to be an entire industry uprising, especially as you mentioned, you know, how you're still reliant on all these other sort of business and networks and, um, you know, people engineering different materials. And so, as, you know, one business with a really outstanding reputation, and you've kind of really, you know, developed this manifesto, and there's metrics, and it's very easy to read about as you're doing this. um, It's easier for others to fall in line and kind of work together because it becomes more of the norm. And then from the consumer side, realizing that we're not always like, investing in something that's basically going into obsolescence within a matter of years, you know, to know that you've now purchased a hiking boot that you can get resold. And to really be able to tell the story of that so that it's not just like a one-time purchase, but you actually are able to understand that this is like a a good lifetime investment. When it comes to gear, I mean, what did it look like as far as trying to kind of do some life cycle analysis of things like a ski boot? Like it's one thing to kind of know what's happening on the factory side, the manufacturing, what's going into it. But what does it look like as far as, you know, once you turn it over to distribution and to the consumer and how um, as a company, were you kind of able to analyze what a product's life cycle really looks like?
1: There's a couple parts to the question, but ski boots are a great an- uh, example of where to start. Um, there's, there's a couple different ways we re- re- measure it. And, it's not an exact science in, in many cases, but I will say that, um, on the, on the more observational anecdotal side, we still repair boots. We have to, by the way, I should mention that ski boots act. There's actually a standard, uh, in, in the, the Alpine ski industry where there's a, 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 a lifespan, a recommended lifespan, use yeah. span. I
0: mean, I was a boot but, fitter and I was always reciting, like how long is the a, a boot, you know, what is, what am I investing in here? And there is an expectation.
1: There's an expectation. And there's actually where, especially in an Alpine boot, you know, you, you won't mount a binding with a boot that doesn't have enough sole on it for, for those kind of things. So there's, but, but the, the more interesting thing, especially in AT boots, we all know how backcountry skiers are, you know, <laughs> and and uh, but there is a lifespan to the materials. This is actually uh, by by something that the in the EU that they talk about a ski boot should only be used for so many years because there's a breakdown of the structural integrity of the. This is mostly polyurethane boots, yeah. so I mean
0: they'll just eventually become brittle. They break,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. And people are like, oh, my ski boots broke like they're 15 years old. But that's more with PU because it's less ductile as a, as a material. So where I was going with this is we still see, um, you know, there's a certain element of um, in business, the theory of planned obsolescence, like make something so it doesn't, people need to buy it right. again. We have pretty much ignored that, that concept because we we see boots, I mean, especially the telemark boots, which is a whole other story. <laughs> um the people are sending in for the fourth re, uh, you know, the fourth kind of uh, update yeah. and fixing rivets and, and we're literally sending them back a note and saying we did the work, but you know these, it's time for a new pair of boots. Not just be, but and you'd be amazed how much better boots are today than they were 15 years ago, but they don't wear out um, as fast as they go out of fashion in, 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 a sense of technology advancements. Yeah. So, um, the other thing is that we, we date code all of our manufacturing, all of our products. So we can track a product, uh, especially in North America to not to a dealer, but we can track it to a production run, which we can track to a season very easily. And so when we, we see how much and, and we get data also uh, from our probably one of the most um, successful uh, climbing shoe resolders, Rock and Resole and Boulder. They do fantastic work, and and everybody, all brands, they work on all brands of shoes. So they they are also, and they they retail shoes as well. And They're saying, you know, this is what we see. We can you know, it's hard to get. a a first good resole on many shoes and we're doing second and third resolds on your shoes so we're sorry to say you're not selling as many shoes maybe (laughs) as you could be and my response is no we have to motivate people to buy new shoes not because that there's something in a different shoe they want in addition to like skew but it's kind of more philanthropic than than obviously profit driven but these are conscious decisions. So very few people that I'm aware of, very few companies, we have all the machines we need to basically from Europe, we import them from Europe, all the parts to do ski boot repair. And obviously if something's broken and it's much harder to resole a ski boot, but that's generally not an issue, but we have the technology to do a lot of things, which is not a profit center. It's a service. The department isn't called warranty. It's called product services because right about, you know, two or three more weeks, they're going to see like all these boxes are going to show up with people who just like started thinking about winter and needing to get their boots reworked. So it's hard to measure in terms of, Oh, and then we also do um, what we call a survey of uh, a, a suite of surveys every year which involve dealers, consumers, um, our sales team, our own my the internal colleagues of, of Scarpa North America. And these things also rank really high in terms of measuring on what's important to all of those people, especially. Uh yeah, so it's not, as I said, an exact science. It's not like how we can calculate carbon footprint, but they're early indicators I also will say you said life cycle. So there's a couple of things that are worth mentioning here. First of all, the uh, a project like the Mistrale remake is a complete cycle of yeah. life.
0: Like cradle to and cradle, not cradle to grave. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So there's the the this should could theoretically, we could be making ski boots out of ski boots that were made by other ski boots <laughs> in a generational change. Yep. And nobody will know a difference, which is great. We're also doing that with leather now, where we're collecting the mojito. I don't know if you're familiar with that particular yeah, style. please talk about one The mojito is number one best-selling style globally for scarpa. And it's just like this phenomenon uh, that, yeah, you know it, you see it. Um, and um, people talk about, oh, I'm on my fifth pair. And we we're like, well, what, do you, what did you do with the old ones? And are like, yeah, I just threw them away or gave them away. And so we figured out, and it's actually uh, through a grant that we're involved with and a company called Evolo, how to recycle the leather from these shoes which is a really involved process because you have to de uh, deconstruct them and that that extra process. So we get recycled leather from this that we can make now a fully recycled shoe because in that category of shoe we can make the midsole re- from recycled material, we can make the sole from recycled material, everything, the laces, everything. It's not it's more of a lifestyle shoe so we're not asking it to climb or ski or be a mountaineering boot and this is takes 10 steps instead of 20 it reduces that there's no chrome added in this second time because chrome's a thing in leather uh, preparation it re, it's one third the water consumption it takes half the power and, and and you know it's like wow if you can do that you're not just getting a leather that's recycled you're you've really that this chain of of factors, these these every step of the way, you made an improvement. So, and that is uh, something that is a is a footwear manufacturing um, industry effort in Europe, and just getting off the ground. So, uh, but we've seen the first results, and it works. Now it's how do we make this commercially viable? Yeah. Um, always, always a question you have to ask, or somebody's going to ask you at some right. point. That's the problem with having a title like CEO these days. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, I think that life cycle is really important, and trying to figure out this is the this is the magic formula. If we touch every step of the process from raw materials, not just what we can buy, but what we can develop, design, create. To what happens at the end of that life when they're ready to be disposed of and and bring it back to the earth, basically, bring it back to raw materials. It's a big deal. It is. <laughs> I have to say. And and sorry if I'm going into too much detail. Oh, definitely so keep not. me on keep <laughs> me on track here.
0: No, it's perfect. And I think it's really an imperative that you know all the listeners of this podcast, people who are really enthusiastic about gear and care about really high quality gear that is really doing the specific purpose that it's set out to do. Um, Another sort of layer that we need to bring into that is, as we're looking at the gear, we're purchasing the gear that best suits our needs, like what is the life cycle of that particular item going to look like? And how as a consumer, you could potentially move in one direction or another or act on that sort of life cycle analysis um, as the owner of that item to then have a better outcome than potentially just like sending it to the landfill. Um, you know, maybe if it's just passing along the boot to someone else for them to get it resold or whatever else it may be, you know, just kind of having some awareness brought into the conversation around gear because, you know, having high quality gear that works really well is essential as we've discussed throughout this episode, but then also kind of considering what the full life cycle of that item looks like and why that might really be important as a consumer to also consider?
1: It's a conscious choice. And I think that the awareness of that at the consumer level is kind of the next step. So again, bringing along the whole community, um, we can do these things. A manufacturer can do these things, but they need to be highlighted. and the retailer needs to make conscious choices. And, and obviously, every, every store needs to have a good range of products and and not everybody will be able to um you know it, accessibility to the products is another topic i, I won't yeah. go on to that but, and a, but and that's an part of this one. yeah yeah I, I mean and we've learned a lot through mm-hmm. other initiatives that we've done our our mentorship program has been so informative in so many ways um but ski boots are expensive mm-hmm. and so it's one of my final Challenges, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and this will probably tie in some way. It's very much a sustainability topic, but the idea of life cycle and and how. So, if you get to the end of that life, uh, by your definition or mine, you probably have three or four options there. And yeah, I, I, I have to tell you a quick vignette, uh, we have. I met an amazing person. His name is Junior Rodriguez. He's was a mentor in the Sammy program. He lives in Jackson, and he is a phenomenal skier. And he skied the Grand Teton as part of his year as a in mentorship. And we gave him new boots because he was a mentor, and we were sponsoring him. And he said, <laughs> to paraphrase. Yeah, I was congratulating, and that's a good tick. You know, the grand is not an easy get. And he said, "Yeah, and those boots really helped." It's it's really the first it's the first pair of new boots I've ever had. I said, "How?" Yeah, that got me, and it just made me realize. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not everybody. You live in a town where it's like how do I scratch together eight hundred bucks for a pair of boots? So there's a secondhand economy that we have to really leverage and you know in the end it's principles we have to protect the environment not just for because of our uh, our general knowledge of what how important it is for the planet but this is where we where we this is our happy place this is where we love to go this is where we go with our best friends and do our most amazing stuff it's what feeds us and um so there's a second level to that and it just gets more and more personal And the level I'm at now is, and I want more people to have access to that. So that happens through a lot of different ways. It's just another filter to, to refine decisions and and ideas.
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, the way this discussion goes and always needs to go is kind of thinking of how interrelated all of this is. And so, um, you know, we can't really just like focus on one part of it and leave other parts behind like the accessibility and, So kind of looking at this from a very holistic view, which I think looking at the green manifesto and sort of the way you as a brand delved into this process, it's impressive to kind of see how you're kind of considering all of this. And then even beyond that, like as, you know, a technical brand producing incredible gear, but also like how can you sort of bolster the secondhand uh, economy and things like that along the way. So um, yeah, I think it's, amazing that you're speaking to all of that and kind of not forgetting about some of those really important aspects.
1: Well, thanks. It's, I think it's really important and, and I appreciate you giving me the latitude to wander off into those topics. I, I, I really think that it is, it is very integrated and holistic and it's hard to isolate when you say do good things. Now pick and choose which ones, you know, it's a mentality. It's not a program or an initiative. It's a way of living and working and that has amazing returns, especially in satisfaction. I will say this is probably what I, I think is my some of my most important and best work and also the legacy work that a lot of leaders need to consider as top of their job description. And you know, I also think it's important to to in all of this to push the push decisions down to the lowest functional level you can in in, in an enterprise and empower everybody as much as you can and leave the stuff like this. Keep that for you as, as an executive or a top management level person to be focused on. And yeah, you said it blister. It comes through for me. I mean, I've spoken with many people and, and leadership and it's an alignment of values, but you know, the way you approach product reviews, it's, it's just completely objective, fully comprehensive, and it's a go-to source for our industry. That's a statement of quality and and understanding what the, if you will, customer needs and the, the industry. So, little little plug for y'all. Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. <Tim. laughs> sure. We really appreciate that. Um, well, I think, you know, I want to talk a bit more about the process of becoming a B Corp because I know Scarpa is kind of amidst that process right now. Um, before we do, I mean, is there any other sort of gear you want to highlight that's kind of come out of this process um, that people might be interested in hearing about just because there is so much going on here when it comes to technology and development. And I think it's pretty interesting to hear about some of those items and uh, pieces of gear that are kind of telling the story of the Green Manifesto.
1: Well, there's a lot and I, and I, I, it's a hard question to answer quickly, but I would say that the things that come to mind, like the Mojito Bio or the Spin Planet, uh, certainly a lot in the ski boot range. Working into this, and you, you know, I, we really welcome feedback, input, how, what this, if this matters or not, and if it, our products are any good or not, of course. But um, I think that take a minute to just dive into that a little bit and look around because we're identifying our products more and more. I would also add before we leave this kind of topic area is that the challenges are not static. They keep popping up in front of us. And so I'll give you one that's a really interesting top of the list topic right now. It has to do with with forever chemicals that are used in, 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 in materials that are used heavily used in the outdoor industry. Um, The PFAS discussion is now becoming, talking about, this is not a manifesto, it's a directive. It's becoming California, Washington, Massachusetts. REI just has announced that they will not sell products that contain PFAS. So that's, this is how, you know, the push me, pull me kind of thing. So when somebody draws a line in the sand, like our guy just did and number of states, it's a call to arms. And it, this is a great example of the scramble and how sometimes it's like, wow, you know, we maybe we were just wasting time getting to this point. But all of a sudden we have a deadline and companies, the companies that supply materials Every brand said, sure, no problem. We're ready to give up Gore-Tex for the Gore-Tex alternative, PFAS-free. Gore-Tex, how do we do that? And they're like, yeah, we're not quite <laughs> actually ready yet. And so these are, and I'm not faulting Gore-Tex or anybody in this. It's doing the right thing. It's, this is force for good, for force for positive change for the environment. But man, I mean, this is mega- And to do it is going to require everybody holding hands, having lots of patience and and making sure that uh, we move together as, as an industry, obviously to the right point, but, uh, you having grown up around Gore-Tex, I think it was generation three that was actually good. (laughs) And we don't use a lot of Gore-Tex in our shoes, but we do use it for sure. And we're already, we've, we're already changing materials to and, and developing new shoes with proprietary, non-PFAS, breathable, waterproof laminate. And so yeah, that's that's a thing right yeah. now. Well, and as and- challenging
0: as those pivots can be, it also sort of brings on that sense of urgency that we actually probably need to be acting with more readily. So it's it's exactly. maybe tough when it comes from that direction and it's like that it is that directive, but at the same time, it is probably uh sort of that you know, helps put the foot on the gas because more or less yeah. we, we don't have a ton of time to waste.
1: No, it, this is the the sense of urgency that we all need to think about. You know, there is, I've looked at the calendar a lot. There is no day on it called someday. It's <laughs> like, put a date on it and 2024, you will be ready or you won't. And and there there it is. It's pretty binary at that point. So just because just, I know you deal with a pretty techie Listener and readership, (laughs) so uh, you know maybe that's of interest to some some folks out there.
0: Certainly, and yeah, we're going to keep having conversations like that on Gear 30, which is you know we love to put information out there and kind of have that high quality dialogue about what the alternatives are and maybe you know what people could be thinking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, the apparel industry is obviously that's a big deal for the apparel industry. So stay tuned, and I'll 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 watch for updates (laughs) because. Well, listen about B Corp. Yeah, um, it's a great it's a great kind of uh, point to bring our conversation to because this um, process has been like getting a doctorate in sustainability, and I put sustainability in this definition in quotation marks because it's social sustainability, environmental sustainability, sustainability through governance. And um, it is, it is the most comprehensive, you know, I've been through um, ISO certification, I've been through many, many enterprise kind of uh, certification processes that are all encompassing. But this one has been by far the most interesting, the most, um, how would I say, exciting, and the most, um, the, the one that I can see the most progress day by day and measure it. It's also intensely labor, it's very labor intense and um, because it's all hands on deck and it and it touches all levels of the company. So what is B Corp? If you're if people aren't familiar with it, B Corp is a set of standards, certifications, a uh, really very much printable and values-based mentality around how to build, run, and sustain an enterprise and a community. And, and it's, it's, it's always, there's always an and part to B Corp because a lot of people say it's about the environment, right? And I say, yeah, it's so much more than that. But the template and the metric is very similar like, you know, measure, discover, measure, um, apply change focus on the the highest priorities and the biggest return. There are about 6,000, only about 6,000 B Corp certified B Corp companies in the world. I think there's around 2000 in North America. And I think that spans about 85 countries and 150 plus industries. It's not big in the sense of, uh, of many standardizations or certifications, but what's amazing about it is the this community, it's community. It's not just a group or an association or a certification. And it's almost like when you, um, if you were a ski guide and I was a ski guide and we met, it's like, I know, you know, certain things that I know because we both went through ski guide, we both ski guides and, or UIAGM guides. And, it, this community, this understanding creates a mentality of this is how you do business. So, if you, you look at it exponentially, if 6,000 companies ask all of their vendors, all of their customers, all of their retail channels, everybody that they're working with, we're doing this. We need you to do it with us. And it's it's like this grassroots movement that becomes, you know… That idea from a grounds from an idea to a groundswell to a philosophy and business set of best practices, and it's um, it's it's hard. I have to tell you, it does feel like going through grad school in the sense that there's always an assignment, there's always research to be done, there's m- m- always it's not grading, it's measurement, and it's it's self assessment, which is kind of the hardest thing but it has identified and um helped us prioritize the areas as i said earlier it was pretty obvious when we said at the first view all right let's look at our energy consumption let's look at our materials use and where we get it and how we get it but it it's it's gone so much deeper right now we're looking at how do we address privacy in internally and externally and these these are considered key points in self-evaluation do you protect the privacy of your stakeholders um your customers who buy something online or your employees uh employment records so that's how comprehensive it is and if you ever get out it's this crazy metric of details uh you know general categories Moving into details, moving into really minute um, levels of information and the whole way with um, transparency, inclusion for the whole team uh, this is like I said 1800 people and then working within the, the, the rules and regulations and laws of the of five different six I guess countries. Um, and um, so I think it's really good stuff and everybody else does too. At first I was like, I don't even, it, it, at first it seems insurmountable, but like everything, if you chunk it down and think about, okay, how am I going to get through this in these stages and steps? It became much more, much less daunting, I would say, but now seeing the results and watching our score go up, it's really awesome. And it's, it's like, it's like climbing a big mountain. Like, oh man, we're like getting to camp four here, and we're gonna we're in summit bid range. So, um, but what I think is most inspiring about it is how passionate people have become about the whole topic, and think about it every day. The choices they make on every level of the company, like should I should I do this or should I do that, or should I you know use a, a regular coffee cup or a paper one. I mean, it's that kind of mentality shift and also culture. So if everybody's thinking about the same thing and thinking, okay, this is the right way to do things, it becomes habit and a cultural kind of uh, standard.
0: Yeah. I think, um, well, it's, it's also sort of a framework with regulations and sort of a regimented process. So, you know, eventually it is just going to kind of create a whole paradigm shift for what business looks like and how sort of businesses operate What Mm -hmm. you said, you know, at the top of the episode, as far as um, what do you put first as a business and, you know, B B Corp and all the sort of actions around it are kind of forcing you to rethink all these different steps along the way. Um, And that is kind of what creates the culture shift and sort of the shift that will actually perpetuate wider change. I guess as someone who's kind of undergoing this process in like the leadership space, I mean, do you have any thoughts on like sort of... How other leaders or other uh, big players in this whole, you know, large ski industry, outdoor industry ecosystem, can kind of approach this process, or how things can be more scalable. Maybe even if it's not pursuing B Corp, but maybe just starting to kind of undergo these processes so that they're not so, like you mentioned, kind of overwhelming at first. But then you have to start to kind of break it down and see what's what's feasible and what's realistic as
1: well. Well, I think that the first place to start is, however you do it, figure out a way to draw a baseline right now. Get get a, a an understanding of where are we right now, and 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 you can design your own set of metrics here, and, and you, or you can you know strive to become B Corp certified. But you, I mean, people I've asked people you should to just go on the B Corp website and read about this. Even that alone will influence you in the way you're making in in your everyday life, in your job. But I think that um, there's two parts to it, self-assessment and listening and looking around, getting a sense of what's going on, a real sense of it before you start tossing out ideas and initiatives and and things to do, and also take it a level above this is not a marketing initiative. This is not a program for, you know, this is the, the program of the year thing or what we're doing. It has to be built in, completely permeate the whole organization. So if I went and asked anyone in our company, tell me about what our principles are, or basically, you know, why, why are we doing what we're doing? in the factory in Italy or the warehouse or the boardroom or wherever, then I would basically get the same answer. It's like, this is, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is why we do it. And um, then, then you have a place and, and you've got to be really, if you're a leader here, you got to be, you're either in or out. You're not, there's no half heartedness to this kind of commitment because it's going to take you to places that you won't, you won't be able to hang in there if you aren't really ultimately passionate and really committed to this. Um, you also have to put it on your. This is going to sound a little CEO like, but you have to show it up. Transparency now is like a budget line on your, in a, uh, a line item on your budget. It's places where you can see it on a corporate level. It needs to show. Being discussed in the boardroom and needs to that's the permeation of the whole company. But anything that is not fully committed to at a top-down level and visibly committed to. So you know the reason I was wanted to talk to you is first of all I enjoy talking with the blister team, but um I want to try to show you through my own passion for this and share that with you. That this is super real for me. It's not something that, oh yeah, this is what we should do now um, because that's why people won't want to buy your product. It's, uh, I know I've made decisions that probably made people not want to buy our product for a minute. And we've had people say, we don't agree with your stand on this and we're not going to buy your stuff anymore. I "I appreciate you saying that, but you know what? We think that equity and diversity is really important in this case. And um, thanks for, telling us so these are hard emails to get when you're a customer service representative and you're like oh my god you know um what do we do and like just just let it flow and get let it roll off your back because the thing is we don't hear from so many other people that think this is valuable but that's the listening part like if you've spent too much time in your office the last three years get out go on the hill, get on the trail, just immerse yourself in our, in our consumer base, in our community. And you'll, you'll see what I've seen. Like this is top of mind for everybody as is accessibility to product and accessibility to places to ski and, and um, yeah, all of those things. So But those are our values, right, as in this case, a ski backcountry ski community or ski community in general or snow sports community, whatever we're supposed to say now. Um, We value many things that are shared, and I think that expanding on that idea that sustainability is one of them as much as powder skiing is and getting out with friends and traveling and being fit, whatever your list includes, this should be on it. So that's the, the, a collective voice of a group of people that are passionate and focused on one particular thing is one of the most powerful um, ways to make change, positive change. Uh, well, not always positive, but in this case, super positive. And um, I think most people, uh, they think about it for a few minutes, would agree. That's, that's my experience, at least. So B Corp's pretty cool. I would encourage anybody to just take a quick look at it. You won't probably want to leave the site for a minute because there's so much interesting stuff to look at. Um, it's been a massively helpful tool and the guidance and, and through it's like having a great guide in the mountains in a place you've never been before. So we kind of know what this is like, but, um, And the experience, the shared experiences of the the 6,000 other companies that have done this have made it a lot easier to feel like there was peer, kind of peer support through this. Yeah, it's funny, you know, um, business is really competitive in some ways. This kind of goes back to sharing technologies about sustainability. But some things we all win together some things we all lose together. <laughs> and uh, and I guess sometimes that is a conscious choice we should think about.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just how that applies to sort of our future and how we can either all win or all lose together and why it's sort of imperative to kind of act as a community rather than an individual or, you know, just a, someone who's a, a shareholder or something like that, but to actually think a bit broader about what this means for everyone collectively.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting for me because of my tenure to look back on these moments in time. You know, I told you that the first PBACs, our new uh, T2 Echo, was 2009. And <clears throat> a, a, a little tip and uh, kind of preview is that we're working on a new telemark boot. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> exciting to about you know, 500 people, but it's actually a really big deal. And this is kind of a funny enigmatic group of skiers and community, but there's so much excitement around it. I can't believe it. It's one of the biggest questions I get asked. This is um, pretty close to ready. It is also made out of RNU. I'm guessing that if we launch this, uh, well, I shouldn't say, cause I'm not positive, but let's say it's in the next year or two season or two. It would be that much time from 09 to 24 or whatever year it is that spanning that, that, that time frame that we've been working with Quebec's are new. And it's kind of symbolic to me that we're introducing a new telemark boot. The first boot we did was telemark and it's, and, and it's, top of the list was materials of sustainability as much as possible so um that really feels good to me and and it it kind of makes a statement to me that this is not a new thing for us it's it's new the way we have to attack it but it wasn't really hard to get our mentality there changing the everything else (laughs) has been the challenges but it's for good reasons
0: yeah well, I think it kind of brings us back to the start of this conversation where we were talking about how you know it was easy to get drawn into Scarpa because you know you it, it was an alignment of values and how those values have kind of always carried through, but you know now they've sort of shifted to sort of match these new um, very essential initiatives such as becoming a B Corp and everything else, and now you know with the new Telemark boot, it's all coming full circle and. It's just really uh, amazing how those things can kind of build on each other. So I'm sure it's rewarding from your end to see and probably uh, inspiring. But for those listening, I imagine it's also very inspiring because I know I'm feeling ins- inspired and I love to kind of see the ski industry, the thing that I'm the you know most passionate about converge with the other thing I'm the most passionate about, which is sustainability and really thinking about a healthy future for everyone on this planet. So it's really
1: cool. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, and you're really fortunate that all these things align and, and uh, in your work and also you know your life and your, your own personal kind of operational values, if you will. So day-to-day, that's great. And I know a lot of people who feel that way, honestly. We're all really fortunate in that regard.
0: Yeah, well, this has been such a wonderful conversation and it's really cool to hear about sort of the evolution of Scarpa, but even as just like a, you know, like you mentioned, the humble Italian brand, how it's kind of growing into its own with all these really important aspects of, um, our culture and our society. Um, but I guess the thing I just kind of want to end the conversation with is what have been the major learnings or takeaways for you as a leader in this process? And then maybe just as an individual too, something that kind of resonates with you as you've moved through this process.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I, I, uh... What came to mind first is I guess how much I've learned or relearned, but and and how that informed me uh in next steps. Really, I think the most important part of that was I'm really involved, probably more than a lot of leaders in product. I'm still really trying to get in the field and stay stay in the game and awesome. and loving it. Yeah. Um So I think it's really important and reminded of listening is so important. And we tend to think as leaders, sometimes I think I pretty much got all this figured out. That's a dangerous, if you have that thought, that's a dangerous moment and you should reevaluate because it's the things moving too fast, changing too fast for any of us to stay up to date, Uh, surround yourself with really smart people that are really uh, match your passion for what they're doing and, that builds the team. It's really a team effort. This has been very clear that um, no one person could make a movement happen. So somebody can start the fire, but a lot of people have to throw wood on it and and make it really big. I think for me personally, uh, as I said earlier, this is – In some ways, defining me and my point in my career—not just sustainability, but what are the most important things to be focused on at this point in your career—and what are your responsibilities in some way? You know, to give back because this is this has been an amazing journey for me to this point. I have a lot of knowledge as a veteran of the industry, and so I think I need to make sure and. Um. do my part, share all that for what, for what it's worth. And, and a lot of that involves service work now. So, um, but I'll, I'll close with this thought. The number one most important thing that makes it all work is love. It's kind of loving yourself and what you're doing, loving who you're doing it with and loving where you're doing it and why. So when I think, and look around the industry and and people who are working their tails off to try to make a new material for sustainability for a shoe to improve sustainability. At that level, they love what they're doing enough to go to that depth. And um, it's it's a secret evil plan, but I think it's actually a pretty good one in the end. And um, it, it's got a lot of return on investment in, in CEO speak. So uh i i've loved speaking with uh, you today on this topic and it just kind of feels good to be you know getting the word out and talking to people like you and doing this together for your listeners because um everybody can make a difference and um don't worry if you haven't done anything so far Guilt, blame, all that kind of fear stuff. Those, there's nothing good in any of that. So look, go to the light, move to the light, and find your way to help contribute to this this movement. And I think uh, if we all do that, it, it, you'll see you'll see the impact. We already are.
0: Yeah. So absolutely, and I've loved it too, Kim. Thank you so much. And I think uh, that's a great kind of call to action for anyone to just kind of. Think with maybe a broader sense of what responsibility is, not just like your duties and your, you know, in your day job, but what is the responsibility to your planet and your community? Um, how can you act out of love and passion? And I think you've really, uh, shared a lot today, a lot of things to learn from and to kind of consider just as we're, you know, out doing what we love in the mountains, but also, um, on in a broader sense too, like what we can really think of as far as the, w- the action that businesses can take and how we can support those actions. So thanks so much for,
1: yeah, all of that. Thanks. Thanks to you too. It's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and, and, I'm always at your service.
0: All right, and before we go, I know there was one more thing you promised you would share a crashes and close calls story for <laughs> us today. So let's hear what you have. That's I know, true. I know, yeah. you are a very experienced, uh, you know, skier, and you spent a lot of time in the Alpine. I know you've had some crazy mega missions out there, but uh, which story did you think of when I asked you that question?
1: Um, well, as I said, I, there is a long list, not too long, but long enough. Um, but one. When I when you're asking that question, I, I thought of of one particular wasn't a close I guess it was a close call but actually a pretty bad one, um, and I was working, and it was the key takeaways here. It was a place I least expected to have this event happen, and um, <clears throat> it changed my the the my mentality about a lot of things and actually ultimately my job. So. I was a sales rep for Black Diamond. And it was 1999, and we were working at the big industry uh, on snow demo, which was a Copper Mountain. And I had the day before; I had tuned all the skis. I was coming down after checking out the ride, and um, just cruiser blue run, and uh, somebody hit me or something. I'm not sure because they left me, but they. They hit me really hard and knocked me out. And when I woke up, I thought I'd broken my femur, but I actually realized it was my pelvis. Oh my gosh. So it was in a time when pelvic fractures were not that common and injuries at Ski areas. So um, lots of lessons learned that day. Uh, it was before we considered helmets standard operating procedure at Ski areas, And I was just really lucky. I'm grateful that I am back more or less. Uh, but I still feel that hip yeah. <laughs> now and then. And I think the only thing I can say, if I can share some, some kind of takeaway is that I never let your guard down. I'd skied and climbed all over the world, really kind of out there in a few moments. I never expected this on one of my backyard ski hills. And, um, it was it was uh it gave me pause it actually i changed my job after that and and went in-house at black diamond because i wasn't sure if i was a field guy anymore and uh that was in and of itself a bigger that was bigger change than actually breaking my pelvis in some ways yeah yeah that's that's uh that's probably the, the one i would uh share with you all so well thanks for sharing it
0: yeah be safe out there and a good reminder that sometimes it happens when you least expect it you know not when the risk is super high but when we have our guard down and we're just cruising the resort so
1: yeah (laughs) thanks for sharing
0: that kim we appreciate it anytime (laughs) all right well thanks again for coming on gear 30 and i hope to talk to you again soon
1: thanks again take care everyone and have a great fall and winter
0: All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of Gear 30. And you know what? This week, I am celebrating conversations like this with people who are so passionate about doing good work, even if it's hard, and making the conscious choice to lead with their values. Sometimes it seems like a difficult and insurmountable fight when we look at the overall climate picture. But conversations like this remind me why a collective effort can have an impact. So thanks to Kim and all the folks at Scarpa and all the people out there who are doing this hard work for the reminder today. Thanks of course to Kim for this conversation. Thanks to our very multi-talented podcast producer, Justin Bob, for putting it together. And thanks of course to all of you for tuning in and considering these topics when looking at gear or deciding on your next purchase that's what we're here for at Blister. So thanks for listening. All right. Cheers.